Hey, Zoltan. Yeah? What's your kitchen superpower? It's crepes, I think. Yeah. What's yours? Uh, at this late stage, it's liquids. Liquids? Yeah. Like soups and sauces and smoothies. That makes sense. You are the smoothie queen. I really want to tell you what our guest's kitchen superpower is because I think it's so damn good, but you're going to have to listen to the episode to find out what it is. Well, our guest is the incredible Giuliano Furla, he, him, of the band Furla, so I know it's going to be a good one. They're the band who made Posada and Limoncello for their merch. Yes. Our interview was recorded on Wurundjeri land, whose ancestors and current custodians we pay our deepest respects to. As usual, there's some rude language. And a trigger warning regarding discussions of experiencing racism. Okay, let's dive in and find out what Jules Furler eats. Two things I've discovered recently. Rediscovered the Sunday roast. And also learnt about Alfington Farmer's Market. Have you guys been to Alfington (gasps) Farmer's Market? Never been. Okay, so I was driving... To Toscano's. Do you guys know Toscano's? Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would drive to the closest Toscano's to me, which was the one in Richmond, because I couldn't find vegetables that were like fresh, mm. like they were Proper fresh at Toscano's. Fresh. Yeah. Um, and then a neighbor told us about Alfington Market. And so for the past like couple of months, every weekend I've been going there. For the first like few weeks of going there, I would go there and get a tray of pine mushrooms because the guy would pick them all, you know, during the week and like have trays of these fresh, massive yellow pine mushrooms Um, and just make pasta like that night, you know, for dinner. And that was, you know, I just like had all these things that I was discovering there, you know, and yeah. Is it Saturday, Sunday or is it just just Sunday, nine till one or something like that? Okay, good to know. Because I don't want to turn off on Saturday morning being like, Jules lied to us. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into heaps of other questions, I do have to ask, are you making your own pasta when you're doing this field mushroom moment? No, okay. I'm too lazy. Okay. But also, like, there is a really great pasta maker at Preston Market. Uh-huh. There's something about the bronze, the softness of the uh-huh. metal that makes it like a... You know, that makes it a better pasta or something like that. Yeah. You know, That's why they say if you roll it with a wooden rolling pin that it puts more texture into the dough. Does it? And it holds the, the sauce. The so the pasta better, maker yeah. is, is, is really good, but because of the metal, it's so smooth and it makes the pasta so smooth yeah. that it doesn't hold onto the sauce as well. There you go. So if you use a rolling pin, it has more, you know, it's more, more fibrous. Texture. It has more texture. It adds more. But maybe just over time, it for me, it doesn't feel as stressful. But definitely at the start, it was like, why would anyone do this? <laughs> yeah. So, so difficult. But now it yeah, it becomes second nature and you, do, you kind of throw the ingredients. You're you don't so measure anything. You, yeah, yeah, and you're just quick and it's it and becomes yeah, perfectionist as well. Yeah, like yeah. you doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe that's true. Maybe I've just got to do it a bit more. Because like my auntie, one of the best things about going to my Z is... Um, because we do like uh, either Christmas lunch at them or New Year's Day lunch at theirs and we'd rotate every year. And one of the best things about going to her place for the lunch was having the pasta because oh she'd God. always make fresh pasta and it was ah oh, just the best. We'd just have bowl after bowl oh of the God. pasta because it was so delicious and so fresh. Mm. This is making me so happy. This is like chef talk. <laughs> so, sure. Like sure. <laughs> going to the market, getting a tray of pine mushrooms and like cooking pasta. This like mm. passion for ingredients is like totally what 
like I hear chefs talk on all the chef shows. <laughs> yeah, true. So, uh, listeners, don't be confused. We're not talking to a chef. I mean, uh, we are, but he does some other cool <laughs> but stuff. But he does some other cool stuff too. So, uh, tell us about your creative practice. What's on your LinkedIn Just, page? Fuck. What's on your MySpace? <laughs> I don't know what what's um, on your MySpace, Dal? What's on my MySpace? I'm a musician. And lyricist. I was like thinking, do I call myself a poet? Yes, I, don't know. I would. Would you? Like, yes. I love writing poetry, but I, like, I think it's about it being set to music that makes it stick or makes it track mm. or something. You know, mm. like mm. it's it's the the combination of the music and the lyrics. So maybe mm. maybe I'd call myself a lyricist. Yeah. But no, I think like writing poetry is like yeah. maybe I am a poet. I'm a poet. Yes. Here we go. Yeah. Exclusive to you guys. It's on the record now. Maybe there's a gravitas to poet. And maybe it's just associations. Like I feel like I'm a little bit more flamboyant or flippant or something like that, that the word poet, like I don't have those associations yeah. yet. Mm. You, you, you write poetry, so you're you're a poet, I think. That's kind of it. That's kind of it. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You better yeah. hear first, folks. <laughs> 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 so he's going to add that in yeah. LinkedIn. It's definitely going to be on MySpace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so apart from also making poetry, so you are a ly- lyricist, a musician, a poet, and you write a little bit too. Yeah, and I wrote mm. used to write plays, mm. but that was I think I got a little bit disheartened about writing theatre. I think I think a lot of it had to do with like payoff, you know. Like I wrote these plays and I loved them, and I loved writing them, and I loved the process. So a play might take you like two years or a year mm. to write, or two years, you know. And then you do a two-week run and you get a, you know, three-and-a-half-star review in The Age and then it's over. And it's like, oh, mm. was that that – was, that was a lot of like – It's like an exhibition. Yeah, yeah. And it costs guess, you a lot. It costs you a lot, you and know, And it's not just energy. like money. It's also no. – yeah, it's like – Resource. Yeah. You as a human resource. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Physical resources, monetary resources, and it's also the people around you who will come and see it and mm. it's the it's the advertising, it's the reaching out to critics and it's like yeah. – were you directing as well? Yeah, I did, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Jules. Yeah, yeah so intense. it was a lot of work. It's a lot. And I guess with music – at the end, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to do, you've got shows that you can repeat anywhere, everywhere. Yeah. And it's kind of, at least in Melbourne, you know, that you can play at the old bar, you can play at the Brunswick Ballroom, you can play at the social club, you can do, you can play gigs anywhere you want, do mm. the same show. Mm. And then also you're making albums, which are physically there, you mm. know, and they're there forever. They're an artifact, you know, mm. and yeah. Just having that there. The tangibility. The so tangibility, really, that's yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Mm. Just made it more um, rewarding somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I kind of gave that up. Yeah. Um, you know what writing. else you did that was tangible? In yeah, I was just about to, to say, Z, I was like <laughs> tangible and also I have an issue because I want one. <laughs> Ferla Posada, Ferla Limoncello. Oh, my Fer- God. Ferla Posada uh, T-shirts. Yeah. And it was made, bottled, squished, packaged, everything by you guys. Okay, so this is the thing. So I wanted to, like, make something. You know, we had an album to pay for and I wanted to make something personal. The word personal has been in the album mm. title for the past two albums. <laughs> like, really tapping into what makes me me. And so, you know, Posada, that's personal to me. Posada is something that I do with my family every year since I've been born. We, we all get together and have these huge family days where we make Posada and eat a bowl of pasta, a big bowl mm. of pasta with fresh sauce for lunch. Mm. Oh. 
sharing that thing, you know, that, that was why I did the Posada. When it came to the Limoncello, it was my nonna, she died in 2020. Sorry. And uh, thanks. And it was like a big loss and, you know, and I was mm. kind of one of the people who packed up her house and like sold everything and mm. and I found this little recipe that she'd written for her limoncello. Oh, so wow. in her freezer there was she had two Coke bottles, two like old school Coke bottles from the seventies or something like that. Yep. You know, big ones with the screwy lids. Mm-hmm. Glass. Mm. And they were filled with her limoncello. So they were still in the freezer and I was like, okay, I'm taking these two bottles of limoncello and I'm also gonna take her recipe which I found and like scribbled in her, all her notes mm-hmm. and I'm going to make, start making my own. So I'm going to use her recipe and I've got a lemon tree at the back. So oh, I wow. picked all the lemons oh. and grappa is what I use. You can use yeah. any kind of grain alcohol, mm. but grappa is okay. like, I don't know. I use grappa cause it's, because uh, it's, it's your recipe. It's my recipe. It's recipe. recipe. So yeah. Right. Pardon me, pardon me. And so Nonna would be okay with the grappa? Well, she, she wrote grappa. There you go. So it's her ah, recipe. Okay, you do not go. argue with Nonna. You do not argue with Nonna. <laughs> but a lot of people on like the internet would say, no, no, not grappa, grain alcohol. Has to be this alcohol or whatever. They don't know. But they don't know. They don't they know don't my know. nonna. Mm-mm. Yeah, and then bottled that up and that became part of like, you know, what I gave away with the album when I released the album because it's personal because this is personal to me and like, mm. and I think that's where all that kind of comes from. You know, it's all wrapped up in food, you know. <laughs> there are aspects, you know, it's not all positive because, there, you know, I didn't ever have a, any Indian or any Japanese food until I was into my 20s. Or Vietnamese food. And I, when I discovered mm. Vietnamese food, mm. that is like on par with Italian cuisine is Vietnamese cuisine for me because yep. it's just like, Same. it is so fantastic. It is mm. so flavorsome and fresh and it hits all the spots yep. that I love, you know, like yeah. I guess I missed out on a lot of that because I already had a culture that was so like. You had a richness. That, that I was like- so ingrained within. Yeah. yeah. So I think maybe. I don't know. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like... You've probably made up for it, though. I think I've made up for it. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. But some people don't. Some people, like, yeah. stay within that, that kind of what they know. And and I think I'm a particularly, like, adventurous person, so I was eager to mm. bust out of, you know, what I'd known throughout my childhood, but not mm. necessarily everyone does that, you know? Do you feel like growing up, because I've known you since we were, like, 16... When you went to school, did you feel like you you were different because you were coming to school with different things or what you were doing on the weekends was, you know, like Posada Day or something like that? Was any of that something that you felt set you apart or did everything just kind of like roll on? I think it was all stuff that I was pretty proud of. Cool. I think I've always been someone that has embraced difference. Like I had a very multi cultural upbringing you know a lot of my friends were from different cultures and that kind of thing so two stories so one was we would get the olives sent to us from toscanos and we would brine them and mum so the way that they would be brined was we'd put the salt water in then we put chili and garlic in Mm. and then mum would coil up so in the big damajons which have these like narrow necks Mm -hmm. she would coil up like a branch of fennel up the top Mm. and coil that all up. And then that would hold all the olives under the brine so that no mould would come over and then you'd seal them and Mm. seal them for six months. Mm -hmm. And at the end, the fennel flavour would just be 
like all in there. But the where, so at Toscano's or at the veggie shop, they didn't sell the fennel stalks. (laughs) So where did you get fennel stalks? You got them on the side of the road because that was where the wild fennel grew Uh and it still grows. And so mum used to drive, she'd pick me up from school and then she'd drive to the freeway and pull over to the the shoulder (laughs) of the road on the freeway and climb up the embankment with a pair of secateurs and I'd be in the car just sinking down as low as I possibly could, so fucking embarrassed that my mum, and she'd be up there climbing and, you know, waving at me and waving at people beeping at her and just, like, secateering off these big branches of, of wild fennel and then putting it in the car and driving home. And I cringe, cringe at the thought. And then... You know, I've got an olive tree in my backyard. And I was like, oh, I should brine all these olives. And then <gasps> I was doing exactly the same you thing. You did it. So I was going down and I was like, fuck, if mum could see me now. Because uh, I called her, you know, and told her. But, like, you know, it's come full circle and I'll probably, when I have children, I'll embarrass them. The other story is kind of funny but kind of gross as well. So I've been called wog aggressively mm. like a handful of times. One was at school. And I it was during PE and I I ran after the guy <laughs> and, and punched him. And yes. the teacher looked the other way because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the teacher heard and was probably like, okay, well, maybe that was deserved. And so didn't like give it a, she didn't give it any attention, which is a free pass for me. Um, and then one time was on the street and I was walking down the street. I was walking home from school and these people wound down their windows, a group of men in a van and were like, hey, Dolmio, <gasps> hey, Dolmio. And I just sort of looked at them and I was like, me, my name's not Dolmio. <laughs> and I didn't, it did not even occur to me that it was yeah. a slur. And I was like, and I was like, me. And they were like, yeah, Dolmio. And I was like, what? No, no, Giuliano. My name's Giuliano. You must have me confused with someone else. And I'm like, no, Dolmio? Like, <laughs> like, you know, make us some pasta? And I was like, oh. And then the light went green and they kind of like dejectedly drove off because I didn't react to them. And that was obviously not the reaction that they were looking for. They were just like, oh, maybe we didn't. I'm, I swear that that was racist. I swear that was racist enough to piss someone off. But, yeah, yeah, so, like, but then, like, even then I was like, what a fucking, what a bunch of pricks. Like, I don't, they can't touch me, you know. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm above that. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> yeah. also you just diluted their joke by a million without even trying. Without so even like, trying. I'm, I am confused. Yeah. And they would have yeah. just been like, ah, oh, that. God damn it. <laughs> Jesus. But, you know, like, it was rare. It was rare. Mm. Mm. Were you cooking much around this time? Like, tell us about your, you know, growing up. You were obviously exposed to a lot of food. Was there anyone that taught you how to cook or pass down those skills? Or were you cooking a lot? Like, when did your love for food start? And who was the person? Or can you identify a person maybe in your family or around you that taught you um, how to cook? So when I was growing up, so Nonno had his own veggie patch. So he always had a veggie patch somewhere. Is this in Melbourne? This is in Melbourne. So for a period of time, it was two doors up from his house Mm -hmm. at at, um, Amos Street in Carlton North. And then 
for a period of time, it was out in Mornington. So he used oh. to get on the train <gasps> with a wheelbarrow <gasps> and all of his oh. like shovels and all of his like gardening equipment and catch like the train grandpa. out to Mornington. Totally. Something <laughs> about grandpas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about that. But European grandpas, my grandpa yeah. was not getting on a train and going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And he'd go out to Mornington and he'd do all of his veggie patch. And then we'd yeah. go out and visit on the weekends. And wow. Anyway, for lunch, we would be given a salt shaker and a knife and be told to go out and pick veggies. And when it was broad oh. beans time, we'd eat the broad beans and just have lunch of broad beans. When it was summer, by the time mm-hmm. summer came around, it was tomatoes and oh. cucumbers. And we'd just cut and them that's all you need, and salt them. salt. And, and they were warm oh. by the sun oh. and they were fresh and it was the best. Oh. This is seasonal eating that has been part of your DNA since you were like a bubba. Well, that's it. And that's, so, yeah, that only occurred to me then that that was like. That's huge. That's because a huge part of the appreciation of food. So many people, especially like these days, have no concept that like, I mean, mango season is very obvious. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's mango season, you get the things. But like a lot of people don't understand that if you try to get a cucumber in June, it was probably frozen in, what, February? I don't even yeah. know. Mm. I don't even know because I don't yeah. know when cucumber season is. Please tell me. I don't know. When's cucumber Summer. season? Summer. Hard right. summer, yeah. Kill, mm. kill Feb. But, yeah, you're right. So you're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that seasonal eating, it's that thing where you expect to be able to make a caprese salad in July. It's like, well. And when a restaurant does that, I'm always like, where are you getting these tomatoes? These tomatoes are going to be mealy. Mm. The cucumbers are going to be, like, not crunchy enough or not fresh, you know, or, like. Seasonal eating is just so important, and I think, and it's also what your body. I think your body wants yes. things that are grown in particular. Yeah. You know, like yes, we're not taught that, and it's something that unless I, I feel like unless it's like your family, and these days schools are really into it. But I feel like I did not know what seasonal eating was until like a few years ago. It was something where I was like mango season, totally. and then everything else was like oh. yeah, well, because you do walk into a, a supermarket and everything is there in front of mm. you, yeah, and it's yeah. made to look yes. very fresh. I don't think I learned about it until we moved here and I started going to the Preston market and just being like, I couldn't find what I was looking for at a certain time of year. And why is that? Oh, it's because no one's growing it at the moment. It's completely because it, out of season. Because it can't yeah. grow. Yeah. It's not because yeah. someone's choosing not to. It's because unless you're getting it imported from like California, you yeah. aren't going to get it from people that are yeah. growing it in Mornington. Yeah, that's right. Which like independent suppliers aren't yeah. going to be importing Exactly. Huge quantities of fruit and veg from overseas. Like, that's mm. not the business they're in. But also, like, what artists eat. You yes. know, we've all had to learn how to be resourceful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cheaper yes. to buy yeah. in season. What does the activity of cooking mean to you? Like, why do you love it so much? So, I think, like, a big thing, I mean, you guys know because you're artists as well, you can't sit and concentrate, or at least I can't. You know, like I'll do like an hour or I'll do like if I get like half an hour of like heavy concentration on work, I need to take a break. I need to take five minutes or 10 minutes, you know, to like walk around because you can't see the forest for the trees for a period of time, you know, like it's all just here. Yeah, too close. So I think cooking for me became the thing where Mm. I could go and I could chop the veggies and then... You know, come back to the yeah. art, you know, and and still be doing something that was creative, that was using, that I felt like I was being productive. It's like, you know, some people talk about walking as their way of like 
thinking through stuff. And I think mm. cooking was the way that I did that, you know, yeah, like awesome. because I could get the cooking going mm. for the dinner and then have like reward myself at the end of the day. It is a reward. You know, with oh, a yeah. fucking so amazing fucking meal. It's an act of creation as well in itself, I think, making it. food. So maybe that's also a nice thing that, that you could walk away from one task but still stay in that creative mindset while that's you were it. doing the other thing. And that's what you found as well, Z. It's like you're in the studio and you're maybe really fixated on something and like the minutia of it and being like, how is it going to turn out? How will it be received? What am I going to do with it? And then like you go into the kitchen and you're like, bread. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. pasta and, and you're yeah. always so joyful about it and you're never judging yourself. You're always just like, I yeah. made a thing. And also, so yeah, it didn't rise, you know, in, this, yeah. in bread terms. Like, oh, you know, it didn't rise as much as I thought. Whatever, it's still delicious. It's still toasted. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, like whatever the pasta is, I'm way kinder to myself when I cook mm. than when I create. Why do you think that is? Um, it's two things. It's beginner's mind and it's childlike curiosity. Yeah. Both of those things, when I get into the studio, get overshadowed by my education, mm. musical education, my musical training, and the expectations to create something good. Mm. However, when I cook, there's no expectation that curiosity and that kind of experimentation can come back in. I think mm. that's the key difference. Mm. You know, it's not all, you know, whatever, let's chuck some sugar in this soup and see what happens. <laughs> like, it's not fully experimental or anything like that. But maybe that's why a lot of artists like to cook mm. because it takes the pressure off yeah. uh, themselves. Why, don't, why can't we just make art like we cook? Yeah. I know that you've said that music reminds us that we're not alone. And through your work, you really love to explore that. And I was wondering how that might relate to food. If it does, maybe it doesn't. But I know that you've said that in interviews, that music is that, um, that thing that can remind us that, you know, we have community or we have family or we have something. We're not alone. Mm. Okay, so my first thought with that was... So when I was a single guy, I would eat really basic. Mm -hmm. I was just eating like omelets and salad or like, you know, super, super basic stuff. But since being in a partnership, I think the enjoyment of different kinds of food and a variety of food, mm -hmm. it's a bit more expressive. Yeah. So like it's an expression. So when I cook for Sim, you know, that's an expression of care and of mm. love and, you know, one of her favorite things that I make is cotoletta. So whenever Sim's feeling a bit like sick or she's like a bit stressed, you know, oh, well, Sim, it's time to make cotoletta, you know, because, you know, you need a bit more of a boost, you know, and it's going to help you feel better about yourself and, you know, it's it's a way of me showing that I care for mm -hmm. her as well. And that happens with other foods as well, like brodo. So brodo is just broth. But yeah. like, you know, I cook it for 12 hours with bones and, Osobuco and beef rib and, oh, yeah. you know, chuck steak and all the veggies in there and some tomato passata and make this big 12-liter <gasps> 12-liter thing. And that was something that I made when I was a single person as well. That was that thing that, you know, would last me days because I'd eat the meat. Yeah. And the mm. meat would last me a few meals and then I'd eat the broth, you know, and have that with pasta and that, mm. you know, and then if I got sick of that, I'd make a risotto with it, you know, as the stock. 
you know, but you could use it as anything, you know, or you could use it as a base for a different soup, you know. <laughs> this goes back to the whole, like, what artists eat thing, you know, yeah. like, you know, there was a need to, like, do these things that were going to be sustained. That, yeah, you know, stretch that could it. stretch out, you know, yeah. that could get the, the most amount of mm-hmm. nutrients out yeah. of, like, one one piece of steak like or the one this ham hock. Yeah, that's right. Pea and <laughs> ham soup, great. Lasts so long. You know, you can make a huge batch, and it's it's so flavoursome, and it's so full of like all the good stuff. Who's your favourite cook? Okay, Mum. Who's your favourite artist? Is it Mum? Mum. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> she made you. Um. So at the moment, like I think Kate LeBon. I'm just loving everything that she's doing. So yeah. Yeah, her new album is spectacular. Yeah, yeah. And what's your favourite kitchen sound? The rumbling. So when I make brodo and the bones um, at the bottom uh, and it's on a real low simmer, it's like only no, just and they're just kind of moving around and and they make this little tinkly sound mm-hmm. at the bottom of the pan. Oh, that sounds divine. What's your favourite kitchen smell? So me and Sim not eating onions anymore. Because we're both a little bit low FODMAPy, we need to like look after our guts. I was walking down the street, walking the dog the other night. We were both walking the dog, yeah. And someone had their window uh, window <gasps> open, and they were frying onions. You know, doing the start of the sofrito, uh-huh. and I was just like, "Oh my god, that is the most wonderful smell." The most wonderful smell. I'm sure I'm not the first person. Everyone says this, huh? Everyone says that. It has been really interesting. I'm pretty sure that every single person that we have interviewed has said exactly the same thing. Less walking the dog um, (laughs) and FODMAPI, but different variations on that. But, yeah, this is really fascinating because I know that a lot of people like it, but wowee. Mm. Everyone is viscerally really... Yeah. Like stuck to it. And we were laughing with our friend Zoe last week because we were talking about that idea of it being so like like there's like a pheromone moment in there. There's yeah, something going on. Is, but we were like, yeah. you're never going to go to Chemist Warehouse and be like, I'm just going to get the Erd uh, onion. <laughs> you know I mean? That's true, yeah. We <laughs> joked about it last time. Yeah. But uh, things maybe, are ticking over yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's the merch, mate, guys. Yeah, stop oh, the tea towels. That's the merch idea. Yeah, get rid of the tea towels. Come oh, on. Tea towel business. <laughs> um, and the latest thing you've learned to cook. Okay, so I'm um, using eggs a lot more recently. Ooh. Eggs are very versatile. Mm. Bake a cake, boil them, you know. Lots of he's on board things. for half of it. If you make him a cake, yes, but this guy, mm. he's not an egg man. Not an egg man. Okay. Not the warus either. Then you won't like, there's one called Warva and Purgatorio. That I, it's a recipe that I've discovered recently, yeah. which is eggs in purgatory. And it's like you use your leftover tomato sauce yeah. and you crack the egg in there oh. when it's hot. It's like a shakshuka. Oh. It's like a shakshuka. Yep. It's exactly like a shakshuka, but it's like an Italian version. And you grate mm. some cheese over the top. Really good. You might... Not like that, but you might like cacio e uova. It's like a mix between cacio e pepe and carbonara. Oh, where it's like, goodness. do you like carbonara? Yeah. Okay, so no cream, just eggs. Yeah. It's eggs and cheese. Yeah. Mm. That's a real proper carbonara yeah. and bacon or the guanciale. Mm. Um, but this is like eggs and cheese and cracked pepper mm. made in the same way as a carbonara with the pasta sauce, and it is oh, best. That sounds like a really just quick, simple. Yeah, because the eggs cheese. protein don't really, and the protein. And yeah, yeah, so it yeah. fills you up more. When I say starving artist, how do you feel? Okay, so 
When I was like 18 or 19, I think I completely romanticized the idea mm-hmm. of being an artist. Yep. And part of that mm. was being a starving artist. Yep. Was like going away to a new city and slumming it and needing to slum it because that was the that was the narrative of an artist that I thought I needed to fulfill. Mm. And so I think when I think of the starving artist, I think there's like an element of the rite of passage. And, you know, there mm. is no doubt that being an artist, you have to sacrifice a certain level of comfort. You have to sacrifice a certain level of um, security because you're compelled to make art. You're compelled. It's a compulsion. Yeah. And there are certain things that you can't and don't want to give up because they would be giving up a real integral part of who you are. Yeah. And so I think... There are so many artists that have gone before us who have sacrificed. And I think when when I think of starving artists, I think of the sacrifice that I have made and that I am willing to make in order to fund mm. yep. and in order to do my art. Yep. So I think I think I have a bit of a nostalgic I think I have yep. a bit more of a positive Yep. Um, association with that. So the poet concept. is really like warmed by that flame of the starving artist uh, a little bit of a way. Do maybe you think? it's also Catholic. Catholic yeah. Oh yeah, upbringing. yeah, yeah, yeah. We just you like know? guilty as <laughs> Guilt, hell. Like, yeah. You deserve to starve. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 But then Jesus turns into wine and bread on wine Sundays. And bread. Woo! Yeah, baby. <laughs> and some fish. Um, and do you feel like, in terms of that being something? relating to just simply feeding yourself. Do you have any ideas, I guess, you know, now that you're not in your early 20s living in share houses and things like that, do you think that there's any other ways that artists could be supported beyond, I guess, the um, that sort of romanticised thing that you feel like is a rite of passage, which I really think is very interesting and I have not thought about it that way. So mm. I agree with you. I guess what I'm trying to say is like how did you cope and how did you get to here being able to feed yourself and have you got any tips or um, resources? Look, applying for all the grants, I think like, mm. what was it? I wrote a little essay like when I was in lockdown. It was about challenge mm. being the object of the game and not success. We can measure our success or we measure our worthiness in terms of success. Mm. But I actually believe that our worthiness ought to be measured in resilience, Mm. in not necessarily succeeding first time every time, but returning and taking the time that you need to kind of regroup, recoup, recover, whatever, but always returning to the challenge. And I think, I think that is a message that I need to tell myself even now because mm. I've just released an album and that was hard and it was hard putting stuff out and it's hard like plugging it and it's hard like pushing it mm. it's hard making it but like you know it's that return to the to the craft and to the mm. art and to the purpose yeah when you find yourself having to pick yourself up from the times when the return is especially hard. 
which happens, which it can happen hour to hour, day to day, <laughs> um, week to week. Do your cooking habits change when you're in those sort of very burnt out, very low moments or you're, you're particularly stressed or, or it just feels very, very hard to return. Mm. Tell us about how, how you get nourishment at those points. Well, I mean, this is the beauty of like <laughs> of the brodo, of mm. lentil soup, of making the soups, of making yeah. those things that those yeah. things that were from my childhood mm. that were made to me when I was sick. Made for oh, me when yes. I was sick, you know. The ratatouille but, moments as well, where you're just like plugged into something that is just beyond like the moment of wherever you are. It's like it's completely taking you back to something. Yeah, and like, that's right. Here is the nourishment. Here is the nourishment, mm. and you know, and like nourish our souls and nourish mm. who we are as people. And and when I'm down and out, when I'm feeling upset or struggling or like, or I've just put out as much as I can possibly put out and I'm wrung out, you know. I've given all I've got and I need to turn into a sponge and suck it up again, Mm. you know. Then it's like, you know, having those things, you know. Yeah. Having those things that you can return to. That Mm. I've always been in awe of the artists who can like just constantly produce. Mm. I need breaks. Yeah, I mean, you never know, I guess, unless you ask people they actually might just be in that exact same position. They just make it look easy or yeah, they make it look yeah, like they're yeah. consistently being like really prolific. Yeah. And that can often often happen when you compare yourself to others. Like oh, the, social oh, media. The social Jesus. media. But, it's yeah, absolutely. Trap, it? We, it is a trap and it, people do fall into the trap of comparing themselves to others. Mm-hmm. I know I do. I know a lot of people that I know do. Yeah, the same thing. Me too, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, if you're not someone who compares yourself to anyone, um, please let us know. We'd love to know how you get <laughs> up in the morning. Yeah, not totally. even kidding. We'd love yeah. to know. Yeah. I had a question about how you're supporting your art because it's like big transparent question. Like you have a mortgage. How are you paying that? What's going on? Oh, look, I work in construction. So that's like I was very fortunate to have, like, been able to work throughout the entire lockdowns in Melbourne, you know, like, that never stopped. It stopped for two weeks, I think. That's how I support myself. But it's just stopped satisfying me. And and also what I look for now in my artistic practice has changed. And I think for a period of time when it was serving me most was when I was touring Yep. Lots when I needed a job where I could put it down and come back to it, you know, when I needed that. Yeah. And I don't necessarily need that anymore. And I don't necessarily think, I mean, if I tour, I'd love to tour, but I don't want to be mm. sleeping on people's floors anymore. Like, I, I think I'm just a bit beyond that. Like, yeah. And so I've made the decision in the past like month or two to go and study again. And like, and that's going to be psychology. Mm. Yeah. And like, and I needed something for me where it wasn't a choice between the two, where I could sustain them both and they would both complement each other, you know? And I do actually think that being a psychologist and being a practising artist, those two things can align and can be the same path, Yes, you know? I don't need to split myself in two. Yeah, but it's also really important. I just think like even like for a podcast, for people to hear that you have had a job outside the arts industry, people often are quite cagey about like how they support themselves because they feel like, well, if I'm not doing a hundred percent the art thing, then I'm not a real artist and I can't then call myself an artist. And it's like, I think that's bullshit. And I think that 
is part of the really toxic part of the starving artist myth where you have mm. to only do the art mm. and only play that game and if you're doing something else to support yourself, you're somehow like diluting it Lesser. or you're not doing yeah. it right. Yeah. And then this idea then of being able to then, you know, go and study and then take yourself out of a financial situation that's helped you be quite stable and safe and now to be able to make a decision to go off in a different direction that will actually help your art. I think that's really important to talk about that and to tell other creative people that it's like, you know, you can do all this kind of stuff and it doesn't make you less than mm. as an artist or less than as a creative or something. Yeah. Like this it can actually totally be complimentary. Right. It can, yeah. I really, right. yeah, I would like want to push that to a lot of people who are thinking that because I work like part-time in hospo or retail, I'm not a real artist. And it's like this country does not yeah. support artists enough to allow you to be like a full-time artist unless you're really the exception to the rule. So this idea that you can, you've had this experience of being in construction, now you're like, no, but also I'm going to change direction mm. and then the art hasn't changed. I, and I love this especially because it's a very sustainable outlook on mm. the path of unfolding creativity throughout a lifetime. Mm. It's not this thing where it's a very quick burst of artistic life and then mm. it fizzles out and then you go off and do another thing. Mm. It's like you know that it will always be there and you're making decisions to support it so it can continue to be there for a long amount of time for the rest of your life, hopefully. Mm. Um, and I have a very similar view that it's more important to preserve that need to create and like stay in touch with that need to create and whatever you're doing to support that to make sure that that stays as like a little pilot light that's always oh, there and it's it. yeah, it's yeah. always on it's always it's burning always yeah. it's always there mm. and when you want to turn it on you can yeah, yeah. so yeah, i think like i idolize career artists, you know, mm. like the Leonard Cohen's or the Patti Smith's or the David yeah. Bowie's or the Nick Cave, you know, like those artists that like are creating for their entire lives and it's not mm. so much about the single work. Yeah. It's about the body of work. Yeah. And it's about their progression as an artist that like you're charting them. The pilot light's not going out. But yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. As we sort of uh, wriggle our way out of a lot of the squeeze of the last two years. Did you have a lockdown food obsession? Okay, so it was Monte Carlo's <gasps> and mint slices. And I Making them or eating them eating out of the package? Okay. Them out of the pack. Mm -hmm. I would go down. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I would go down to the supermarket and see Northcote Plaza? No, no, IGA. The IGA, IGA, love IGA. Love and their self-serve section. I love the um, <laughs> the chocolate-covered <laughs> yeah, yeah. raspberries. Oh, love, them. love them. Oh, they're so good, aren't they? So yeah, good. So good. I would go down and I would get a packet of Monte Carlos <laughs> and pretty much by the time we went to bed, the entire packet would be Because <laughs> yes, I've like, I'm just, and I, me, like, I just put on kilos during lockdown <laughs> because I was just like indulging in all these things and Monte Carlo's and mint slices. They're just like 
my go-to. Why? Why? Why, why do you love me? Oh, because I love Monte Carlo. Oh, they are the best. <laughs> I love that. They are the best biscuit. Yeah. 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 Honeys, <laughs> I am not on board with this, but I don't know why. I am open to it. I just, it's just. There's too many different flavors in it. It's just a bit oh, weird. Okay. I'm open open to change, but at this late stage, mm. still don't get it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's well, right. this is a good follow-on to one of the Nibbles questions, mm. which is, are you sweet, sour, salty, spicy, or umami? Not your personality, like what you prefer, but also if you want to then, a second question could be yeah. like as your personality. As personality. <laughs> yeah. I think but what I'm do you spicy as a personality. <laughs> um, I think as like I'm always adding salt. Oh. I'm always adding salt. I must be lacking in some <laughs> like crucial mineral, mineral. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm always like so, like it cannot be salty mm. enough. Like I'm lo- like love capers, anchovies, <gasps> all those salty like olives. You know the yeah. brined olives. Anything salty, and I'm yeah. there, hundred percent. What's your favourite utensil or gadget in the kitchen? Um, uh, the best utensil is a good knife. A good knife changes your whole experience of cooking. Perfect for chopping veggies. Perfect for... I cut myself. I had to... Oh, honey. Like, I cut myself because I was cutting a carrot Ooh. lengthways. Don't do that. And it was like, Sim, I've like... I've really cut my finger bad. And I, like, was really, really calm and she was really freaked out. And I need to go to hospital and I need to get stitches. And she was like, "Okay, are you serious? Because you, like, because I wasn't, like, I was like, yep, I need to go to hospital right now. So can you get some bandages? And, like, you know, I was just, like, super calm. And she was like, okay. Yeah, this guy. God, if he deal. faints, it's fine. I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down. <laughs> but yeah, I cut my finger bad. So like, but a sharp knife, I'd swear it like, like a crappy knife or a knife that's too small when you're cutting mm. veggies, that kind of thing. It's just no fun, you know, but like a good size knife. Yeah. Mm. Utensil yes. number one. All right. <laughs> can, you, can you share a, uh, a different kitchen disaster story or funny story? <laughs> oh, no, I can't. <laughs> no, that, that was it. That, that was, was the one it. I had. So, oh, I, <laughs> That's awesome. I, one time, look, I don't, it's not a disaster. Uh, I left the pumpkin soup on the boil because I wanted to reduce it. No. It was, yeah, and I forgot that it was on. <laughs> and so we came back and it was black. Oh. And I could have... I could have burnt the house down. He has done this with chickpeas so many times and had to throw out the saucepan because it became this like actual (laughs) hard piece of something. This hard thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm making hummus. I'm doing the chickpeas. I'm like, are you going to burn them this time? He's like, no, 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 it's almost like the two things fuse. Fuse like the together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it's right. It's alchemy. Yeah, 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 on a molecular level. They yeah. Join. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's what you don't want to be doing, what is your superpower? Mm, being Italian. Oh, is that a superpower? That is an mm, absolute yeah. superpower. In the kitchen, Nailed absolute. it. Cooking superpower. Yeah. yeah. There it is. Mm-hmm. In a few words, how would you describe your cooking? Oh, this is bad. Delicious, nutritious, spaglicious. <laughs> and that's oh, such a bad joke. I thought it would be funny, but don't keep that in, please. please we'll we'll put some canned laughter in there. Yes, there we go. Yes. Thank you. 
This is my favourite question out of any interview ever. Uh-huh. If you could recreate an existing artwork out of food, what would it be? Hieronymus Bosch's <gasps> Garden of Earthly Delights triptych. Entree Whoa. is purgatory, main course, paradise, hell yes, is I dessert. But out of what? Specifically? Purgatory has to be really like... It has to be what really... What about the eggs in Wovo in Purgatory dish? Oh, there you go. There you go. <gasps> eggs in Purgatory. There mm, you go. That's perfect. Paradise. What's that going to be? Paradise will just be, you know, remember the Malibu, the um, yeah, liquor? Yeah. <laughs> the yes. coconut liquor? Yes, we've all vomited that up at some yeah, point. Yeah, we've all vomited. <laughs> Main course. Nom, nom, nom. Nom, nom, nom. That's mm. what you get for main course. Um, Hieronymus Bosch. Hell, mm. the hellscape that mm. <laughs> I don't know. So I could see that I, when I think of Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch and food, I just think of like spaghetti cake. being everywhere. Ah, oh, can just the can shapes that, and the no. colors and all that kind of stuff. Pro heart, pro, yeah, pro heart style. and just layers. And then you're putting like maybe like salady bits on top of it, and then you're creating little like faces out of like little bits of spaghetti and like bits of you know zucchini. I love it. There it is. That's, That's it. what I think about Weird before bed. I go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> that, is, that sounds like a nightmare. Could, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he. I'm sure somewhere wherever he is buried right now, he's like, mm-hmm, yes. This is a really, really great part because we get to talk about the recipe that you chose to share with us. Yeah, and. I really love this because this is where, I mean, this whole thing has been such a a personal chat, but I think this is a really beautiful moment where we get a close look into the very personal food that moves people that we talk to. So tell us about the recipe that that you chose to share. Um, So... I chose to share eggplant parmigiana. Oh, my God. So this is... Something. This is not something that I ever grew up with, mm. but it's mm. a Sicilian dish, and it's um in Sicilian. It's called Milanciano Parmigiana. Mm. Uh, I only did this research today, but like Parmigiana is Sicilian, old Sicilian for Persian. Ah, oh. and so oh. it's actually got like that kind yeah. of Persian Iranian. Middle Eastern wow. influence coming into Which Sicily. Makes complete sense. Which makes complete sense. So mm. like. So that's where that word actually comes from. So, um, yeah, eggplant parmigiana. This oh. is like, this is something that I discovered later in life. After my mum started, mum went to Sicily, had it, and started making it at home, and then wow. I started making my own version. Yeah, it's oh. pretty good. Oh, my God. And why is it important to you? Why is this particular dish so important? So I made it once for my nonna. Mm-hmm. Oh. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. And so Nonna was there and, you know, we were all eating and my sister's kids, they touched their parmigian, their eggplant parmigiana that I made and they were like, oh, no, it's not for us. <gasps> and then, um, but Nonna, like, you know, she took a serve and she was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there was none left. And so she started taking it from the nephew's oh. plates <gasps> because she was just like, Juliana, this is, this is really, really tasty. Oh. Really, really delicious. Wow. That was a big compliment for me because, mm. you know, my nonna loved it so much. And, you know, she would often do that. She'd often, like, pick from other people's plates or, mm. like, encourage other people to eat, you know, oh, it's good food, it's good food. But she actually loved it so much that she, you know, 
She stole it from my Ta- Tackled a child, punched <laughs> yeah, the kid, right. rolled the kid under the table and that's took their it. food. Yeah. So that was a good compliment. Oh, that's so beautiful. And who did you last cook for? Uh, me and Sim. We had nice. it the other night. Oh. We like, yeah. Yeah. Is it something, like, it's like a quite a recurring. It like, is, yeah. I Like we did it too many times, but like we had it so me- so much that we kind of got sick of it. So I only made it like mm. twice this year. Yeah. But there was the last eggplants. It was the end of eggplant season. So I was like, okay, I got to make it one more time. The tiny little eggplants end of the season ones yeah. before they get too seedy and gross. Mm. Are there specific tips for cooking this? Uh, make it your own. Okay. Mm. Don't be shy with basil. There's mm. like a couple of options with that are part of the recipe that like, um, you know, I'll put in lasagna sheets. Oh. You don't have to do that. You can yeah. do that. But I love putting like a couple of pasta sheets in there oh, cool. as well. Or you can put boiled egg. That's real Sicilian style. Like slice up some boiled egg. Mm. Not you, okay. Zolly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not making a that. face. That's <laughs> He's, <laughs> That's He's making a face. Um, don't be shy yeah. with the basil, though. Oh. Oh, don't be shy with the basil. Is that's a beautiful line. That's in gen- yeah. That is a great tattoo. Yeah. That is a great band name. That is an album name. That mm-hmm. is a t-shirt. That, that is a mantra. Yeah. <laughs> that is a mantra. Don't be shy with the basil. I love that. Mm. This next question I really love because it's something that you never see in cookbooks, right? Like you see, you have the recipe, it has all the steps, bang, 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 make it, there's all the things, but there's never a little description of what the flavors are that you should be looking for. Like what's this supposed to taste like? If you did it well, you know, Mm. it's maybe supposed to have a balanced sweetness with like a little bit of uh, acidity and like served warm. Mm. served warm is maybe as much as you get maybe in a recipe book but yeah what are the flavors that you're looking for and what do you love about this dish you know that salt fat acid heat Mm. okay so perfect like there's also sweet as well but Mm. like you know it's all in this dish so you've got the saltiness and the acidity and the sweetness actually of the tomato yeah you know Mm. it's like got a lot of punch it's a real like you know, it's a real carrier, that, mm. that tomato passata. And then it's got the earthiness of the eggplant to counterbalance the sweetness. And and there's a little mm. bit of bitterness. There's always a little touch of bitterness in eggplant yeah, as well. Yeah, especially in like the skins once yeah. they get warm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then the mozzarella is like the fat. You heat it all up. The basil has that sweetness. So the basil mm. like kind of mm. counterbalances all that as yeah. well. So and there's, there's just like a, a lot going. Like, there's just a lot going mm. on, and it's like it's it's dense and mm. it's filling. Even mm. though it's like a bit of a side dish in Italy, like I ah, just love it's a it side, as a dish. side dish. So I was going to say, side dish. what do you, what would you serve with this? But is this something that you would have this on the side or something? Mm, well, I mean, you could, but like I don't. I okay. have it as the main. And you yeah. have like your little salad on the side. Salad yeah. on the side. That's yeah. all about a bitter green salad. Ridicule. Mainly ridicule. Maybe mm. a bit of cos. Maybe a bit of cucumber. Depends on what's in season. What would you drink with this dish? Like, what would you have with it? Wine. Mm. I mean, mm. yeah. Like, there's nothing else, is yeah. there? There's another drink, actually, Frenet Branca. This is what you were talking about before. Talking about before. Never had it. What is that? Never it's heard it. super. Don't know him. It's, Who it's is he? It's an amaro. So, Ooh. that's like a digestive that you have at the end of the meal. Mm. And it's um, meant to settle the stomach. And... I was chatting to a mate and he said it's the only real 
a maro where you can have it and it actually settles your stomach. It's oh. like super bitter. It's not very sweet. You know how you have a Montenegro or you yes. have like a different amaro and yeah. it's like it's very sweet. Yeah. It's very like. Kind of syrupy. Syrupy. Mm. Yep. Whereas this is just like a fisherman's friend. We have the Hungarian version of this for oh, you. Oh, my God. I in, can't wait. We'll yeah. This. It is like a fisherman's friend if it was liquid. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Frené Branca is the Italian version. Oh, yeah. What's the Hungarian version? Unicum. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. It's a, it kind of tastes like Jaeger. Yeah, but, okay. But dialed but, up to 11. Yeah. Like, nice. Very yeah. punchy. Yeah. Oh, I love it. We Can't don't wait. know if it's a cure yeah. for COVID yet. <laughs> no one's done any tests, but I have a feeling it's a cure for just about anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll put hair on your chest. Yeah. That's why it's Hungarian. <laughs> <laughs> What's a special food or ingredient that you'll go to extra lengths for? Pork and fennel sausages. Oh, so you that's what you're going to splurge your, your hard-earned cash on? That's it. So, okay, so we had Ross the Butcher. So my family, we went to Ross. Ross's, he was on Rathdown Street in yep. Carlton. Mum and Dad were going there when they were newlyweds, so, mm-hmm. so when they were in their 20s. And the pork and fennel sausages there were always the best. Mm. Um, he retired and his partner, his like business partner retired. And so I spent the next year going to different butchers all around Melbourne to try their pork and fennel sausages. And I went far and wide and I found <gasps> the closest two places well, the best you're going to get if it's not the Rossages. The best that I'm going to get if it's not Rossages. Um, <laughs> Rossages! <laughs> uh, and there's it's Mario's in Preston Market. They make a pork and fennel sausage mm. that is awesome. Mm. And Brenta in Fairfield. Okay. Again, a, an amazing pork and fennel sausage. Not too much garlic, just the right amount of like fat to meat ratio and mm. fennel. Like, and so many <laughs> pork and fennel sausages. Sorry, buddy. So <laughs> many, just got really. Like, <laughs> so many pork and fennel sausages are lean on the fennel. Mm. You want fennel seed. You want to taste mm. that fennel seed. So it's yeah. a seed, not the actual, like, because I've never had them. So it's the fennel seed that's the in seed. there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so you can barbecue them, roast them, whatever. So, like, it took me a year, but I found nothing's going to beat the rossage. But, like, I found something just as good but in different ways with its own nuance. Oh, that's beautiful. Bless you, Ross. (laughs) Another Melbourne-centric question is where around town do you like to eat? Okay, so um, there's an Indian place called Mooka on Brunswick Street that make my favourite butter chicken. Amazing. We had it last night. Oh, awesome. Um, and all during lockdown and prior to lockdown, mm. there's a place called, you guys are right near it, Greek mm. Kitchen. Oh, yeah. Mwah. That place is so generous. Mm. We got takeout from there. They delivered it. Like when you went there, they'd give you a free dessert and uh. then walk, the owner would walk around with a grappa or port. <gasps> And say, you know, what are you having? What are you, you know, and pour you grappa or ouzo or port, you know, and you do a shot with the owner. And the, just like that hospitality that oh. the Greeks do so well, yeah. that is just 
you know, generous portions. You never left feeling like you'd pay, you know, what you pay, you know, it's yeah. expensive or it's not, but you get fish or you get, you know, fresh lamb or like they've got, mm. they've always got a gyros that's like oh. a fresh oh something goodness. on the spit, you know, yeah. whether it's chicken or lamb or yeah. pork. Yeah. Um, and it's fresh that day. And there's just that, like, that, yeah, fresh is like that the key word. Yeah. Freshness. Yeah. I find it really interesting that this like a freshness and a richness and like a generosity is something that really is important to you because I've known you for like a good long time and I feel like that's something that you exert through just no I'm just being honest. Especially Um, the freshness. Yeah, you're super fresh. (laughs) Yeah, guys he's so fresh. Um but this generosity and that idea that you can be very vulnerable. I'm just thinking Sure, like one-to-one and, you know, in a social setting and as a friend, but also in what you do musically, as time has gone on, like you're making stuff that is so deeply personal, like literally the word personal is something you're carrying over through your projects. So it's interesting that you're aligning with these places that do generosity really well because I feel like that's something that I get from you. Like, you know, I don't see you for months or years and it's like it's Jules. And mm-hmm. you're just like hemorrhaging incredible vulnerable information and stories and kindness and like warmth. And yeah, I'd love that that's something that you get from other places, but I feel like there's a thing where you're like, there's a symbiosis and where you're taking that in and you're definitely putting that out in your art. So mm, before thanks. I get really emotional, I just have to say that. No, that's gorgeous. Thank no, good. It's true. Like you really, I feel that. So when I see you reacting to that, I'm like, oh, it's so Jules. Because <laughs> that is, it's like you take it in, but then you're putting it out. Yeah. We have one more question for you. <gasps> What's for dinner? Oh, Spanakopita. Uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and with that. What a beautiful way to end this hugely deep and vulnerable and, like, fun, fresh. <laughs> Umami. <laughs> Very salty. has had all the flavours and we can't thank you enough for talking to us. It's been such a pleasure, guys. It's been such a treat. If you've loved listening to this as much as we absolutely loved making it, you can leave a rating and a review in the podcast app that you're listening to right now. There's lots of info about Jules Furler up on our website, and that includes his recipe for eggplant parmigiana. And if you make the recipe, please let us know how it went. You can share it on social media and hashtag the name Furler Parmigiana and also tag What Artists Eat. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in a fortnight. Bye.